Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, we have Wimbledon on in the background. It has been controversial, the number of injuries apparently that have occurred. I'm not, uh, you know, all that tuned in to uh, the tennis world, but all I got to say is, uh, you know, the only true injury that one can experience on a tennis court is breaking both your wrists. And I hear that. I think so. I think that's the most common injury. Typically. I think it is, actually. Is, yeah. I, I can't remember the last time that we had a Wimbledon where one of the players didn't, didn't break, break both, both of their, their wrists. wrists. It's, it's, it's tragic, honestly. Yeah. These world-class athletes are breaking both of their wrists at the same time. Such a shame. But they're playing through it and um, actually coming close to victory. Well, close is a, close is a stretch, but... Sure. If you yeah. listen to our podcast in 2021, <laughs> you're yeah, a good people person. People need to have a lot of background context for this open to make that's, sense. That's it's you know that's why people got to stick with it from season one. You know you right. got to go back and you got to. That's where the characters are established. Exactly. If you, if you don't start in season one, you would never know the background the, that the makes backstory. Paul. Because we're just characters at yeah. this point. Aren't yeah. we all just living living wow. life as characters? And life this is, is the just, road we want to go down here. But a stage. Yeah, sure. Disassociation. Let's just oh boy continue down this road. All right. All right. Got a lot to talk about here on the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. In a bit, we are going to have Jay Sirianni, who is the head baseball coach for Sam Houston State. That is the program where Colton Kowser, who is a potential first-round pick and a potential pick by the Orioles with the number five overall pick in July's draft, um, that is the program he hails from. Saw the Orioles connected to... Colton Kowser on one of the mock drafts recently. Thought we'd call up the head coach, get his opinion on the player, and we are going to talk about some other prospects as we continue to keep you, uh, you know, previewed on uh, the full the full MLB draft experience. Uh, but for now, Brendan, yes, we have stuff to talk about with this current major league. We do team. We're going to talk in a bit about Tyler Wells and how darn good he has been. But first. I don't know if you know, but uh, a lot of people in the Twittersphere has, have been talking about uh, a, guy, you know, a guy by the name of Jemai Jones. Oh, I've seen. And yeah. I, the, the talk has kind of ramped up recently because of uh, an, an injury, unfortunately, to Freddie Galvis, uh, which was just unfortunate timing. And any, any injury, obviously, is unfortunate. But the, the way it happened, it was painful to watch from our end, honestly, given... Um, the pain that he was experiencing on the field when that happened, um, at least he's not out for the year, honestly, because it looked like he was in some severe pain if you were watching that Blue Jays game up in Buffalo. Yeah, it was a right quad injury that he sustained while running to first base. He was forced to leave, obviously, in the second inning of that game. Brandon Hyde says he's probably out one to two months, which is a huge blow to this Orioles team. Not probably as much to the Orioles lineup. He was hitting pretty well, but I think it's much more of a blow to just the fact that Freddie Galvis was a fantastic shortstop and was consistent defensively. 
And it is a big loss to not have a consistent shortstop playing day in and day out. Yeah, the, the Orioles have not had too much consistency with this team, period. I mean, they obviously have had a rotating cast of characters at second base. Right. Um, we've seen Trey Mancini and, and Ryan Mountcastle cycle in at first. We've seen Austin Hayes go down with injury uh, before eventually coming back. We've seen um, Anthony Santander miss time with injury. So they haven't had too many guys who have been in the lineup every day. It's been Cedric Mullins, Trey Mancini, either DHing or at first, and it was Freddie Galvis. Yep. That was pretty much it. Um, so to see him go down with injury, and of course you think on the personal side of it, it is tough for him and fortunate that he is going to come back because he still is a free agent at the end of the season. And he was putting up some not bad numbers. You mentioned that, you know, he, his presence won't be missed that much from the lineup, but he still had nine homers and was hitting close to 250 uh, with a 720 OPS. That defense will certainly be missed at shortstop, um, but at least if everything goes well, he will be able to come back um, maybe August, at f- get a final month or two in to show that he's healthy before he hits free agency. Um, and, you know, then his money is, is on the line in terms of the teams are looking at his health. Right. And it's, it's so tough, too, to see a guy like Freddie Galvis get hurt because the dude so clearly just loves to play baseball. Yeah. That it's just, it's hard to watch him not be able to play. I mean, he got hurt and he was still... He came back out to the dugout because he wanted to watch the Orioles and he wanted to to make sure yeah, that he was, he was supporting his teammates. He was in the dugout in Houston. I think he's staying on the road yeah. with the team, um, yeah. which a lot of guys don't do. They they just go back and rehab wherever they you know um, would like to rehab. But right. he's also like a clear presence. And Brandon Hyde has talked about it with Freddie Galvis. He is a, an actual presence in this clubhouse. He's one of the few guys who's over 30 years old and teammates seem to love him everywhere that he's been Cincinnati, Philadelphia. He has built a good reputation of a good clubhouse guy. So right. it is, it is unfortunate from the personal side of that. And, and it definitely, I think takes almost definitely don't never say never takes out of the realm of possibility, a Freddie Galvis trade right mid season, because he will definitely be out through the July 30th trade deadline. So teams are probably not going to trade for a guy who is still going to be shelved for maybe another month after that. Yeah, first and foremost, obviously, the concern is getting Freddie Galvis healthy and what the Orioles are going to do in the lineup in the time that he is out. But it also is unfortunate that that probably takes a trade chip off the table for Michael Elias at the deadline. Because like you said, it... In all probability, Freddie Galvis is probably going to be out another month after the trade deadline. So is a team really going to take that on? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And he does have a a uh, incentive to get traded as well. I think he has a bonus if he does get traded. So, yeah. Um, you know, but of course he has talked about uh, returning to this team maybe in, in free agency. So yeah. we'll see when he comes back. But in the meantime, that creates a hole for the Orioles at shortstop. And they have a couple guys who are versatile enough to fill in at shortstop or second base. And the name that everybody wanted to hear on the transaction report or see on the transaction report was Jemai Jones. He is top 30 prospect in the Orioles system, came over in a trade with the Angels. It was the Alex Cobb trade. I know you're saying which trade with the Angels because there have been a million. Yeah. It was the Alex Cobb trade. Um, still only 23, going to turn 24 uh, in, later on in the season, Brendan, a lot of people ha- were peeved that Jemai was not called up. Yes, I'll say that. Peeved is a is a good word to use. 
Let's start with the shortstop position specifically and how the Orioles are going to fill that yeah. role now that Freddie Galvis is out. The leading candidate to probably play most of the games at shortstop is Ramon Arias. He's good defensively. He's not great offensively. He's probably going to hit somewhere around 250. But obviously the most important part there is even if he's hitting 7th or 8th in your lineup, he's still going to be good defensively at shortstop. And like I mentioned before, that's probably what you're missing the most with Freddie Galvis out. So yeah. I would think that Ramon Arias is probably going to get most of the run at shortstop with an occasional Pat Vileka mixed in. Yeah, and then they called up Domingo Leyva, who, um, if you don't know, they they just joined the Orioles organization from the Diamondbacks organization a couple weeks ago. I believe he, he was claimed off of waivers. So they have three guys there who can all, in theory, play shortstop. Yes, and that's the reason I wanted to bring up the shortstop position first is because everybody was... Very upset that Jemai Jones was not called up. They called up three, two infielders, neither of which were named Jemai Jones, but Ramon Urias and Domingo Leyva can both play shortstop. You have an injury to Freddie Galvis, who was your primary shortstop. So it makes a lot of sense that you would call up two guys who have the ability to play shortstop. Pat Vileka is not fantastic defensively at short, so you would probably rather opt for Ramon Arias or Domingo Leva at that position defensively. Jemai Jones can only play second base. He's also the only one of that group of four, Jones, Vileka, Arias, and Leva, that can't play third base either. So Jemai Jones is either going to be second base or outfield, but the three guys that the Orioles have that we're going to be talking about outside of Jemai Jones can play second, short, or third. And that's the versatility that you need at this point if you're Brandon Hyde. Yeah, and now that they have Ryan McKenna also with the big league team, they don't need the outfield depth that Jemai Jones could theoretically provide, considering right. he can play in center field and probably in the corner outfield spots, though he's played very little of that because they've been introducing him to second base, which is still a relatively new position for Jemai Jones. And he was described uh, by somebody that Rock Cabaco talked about as a little bit rough around the edges still at second base, which is not a knock, just an evaluation. And that's perfectly fine for somebody who is 23, 24 years old. You hope that he gets a little bit smoothed out. You know, we don't have eyes on him every day down at AAA Norfolk, so it's hard for us to determine exactly how he's doing it um, at second base, and stat box scores are not going to give you an entire picture of how a guy looks at second base. But if the organization who is watching him every day still thinks that he is needs some work there, then he probably still needs some work at that position. Right. Um, so even if so, him being rough around the edges at second base makes him even less of a candidate to come up and and yeah. take some at bats when Freddie Galvis went down. And that's not to say that he's not in a good position to learn second base defensively. Right. This is an athlete that you are essentially teaching how to play second base because he is probably used to everywhere he went being the best athlete on the team. So people are probably saying, hey, go play center field or hey, go play shortstop. He's bounced all around. So at this point in his career, you're trying to teach him how to play one specific position and it's not a bad thing that he's a little rough around the edges at second base. He clearly has the athleticism to play the position. Yeah, and I'm not going to use the term rough around the edges when it comes to his offensive production, but here's, here's the rub when it comes to Jermai Jones. He still has not produced at a consistent level offensively in the minor leagues. 
And there are various reasons for that. He has been traditionally younger than the bulk of the other prospects, where whichever level he's been in. He's been promoted through the Angel system very quickly. So he's still only 23, and he's playing at AAA. He's younger than a lot of the players there. When he was in 2019, he was 20, 21, turning 22, and he was in AA. 21-22 is still pretty young at AA. So he is behind the curve there. But still, the guy has only hit, in 2019 at AA, he hit 234 with five homers. He had a 631 OPS. Now, this is not to knock Jeremiah Jones and say that we don't have faith that Jeremiah Jones will ultimately become a good MLB player. But when you have Domingo Leyva, who hit 300 the last time we saw him in AAA in 2019, over the course of 112 games, he hit 300, and he's still only 25. You have Ramon Arias, who in 37 career games has a 278 batting average, and we swear we had this take before he hit a two-run homer yesterday. Yeah. And also had a walk and collected another hit as well. Uh, and a 729 OPS in 37 career major league games, and he's still only 27. That's not the worst thing in the world. No. It is perfectly fine to have Domingo Leba and to have Ramon Arias taking over when Freddie Galvis goes down. There, what is the rush with bringing Jemai Jones up? I don't understand why people are very adamant that he has to be called up now. Well, Paul... You brought up Jemai Jones' 2019 stats. I also want to make very clear that I went on this podcast after the Alex Cobb trade and said that I thought it might be Michael Elias' best trade. We, we are on the Jemai Jones we train. Are no, firmly. Noticeably, Jemai Jones stands. Yes. On this podcast, we have been some since the time that trade was made. So if I may predict our comment section here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you brought up Jemai Jones' 2019 stats, Paul. So let me throw out Jemai Jones' 2021 stats in AAA. He's been very good. He's hitting 286 with an OPS over 900 in 23 games. You know who else has been very good at AAA this year, Paul? Who? Domingo Leyba. Yeah. In 23 games, the same amount of Jemai Jones, he is hitting 344 with a 677 slugging percentage, an OPS over one with nine home runs. Right. All of those numbers, Paul, are better than Jemai Jones' numbers in AAA. Jemai Jones' numbers are still very good, but why would you not give Domingo Leyba a chance? If your argument is to give a younger Jemai Jones a chance, who is hitting slightly worse. And Domingo Leyba, who is a year and a half or two years older than Jemai Jones. And that's it. Yeah. He's 25 uh, and also has a much longer track record of producing in the minors. Jemai Jones, the last time he hit over 240 in a minor league season was 2017 when he split time between the, the single A level and the high A level in the Angel system. So this is, again, not to say that we don't think that Jemai Jones can be a good MLB player, that he will eventually be a good MLB player, but he clearly has to more work to do. Yeah. And for the comments that I saw that said, what, what else does Jemai Jones have to do? A bunch. Uh, do it consistently. This, the, yeah. the 286, the numbers that he's putting up in 23 minor league games, that's great. That's great. It, it's awesome to see, and hopefully it is a sign of things to come. But he has not hit over 240 in four years. Four years. And I know he got his feet wet at the MLB level, and he made his debut last year with the Angels. That's awesome to see. But he still has not played an entire season at AAA. He has 23 career games at the AAA level. 
We've seen guys try to go from double A to the big leagues before without ever getting exposure to the triple A level. The alternate site is great, but that's not the same thing as a full triple A season. And they have struggled. Look at Zach Lowther. 2019 season in the double A level comes up to the big leagues in 2021 without ever appearing in a triple A game. And he struggles immediately, has to go back down to triple A to get things right. That happens. And that's perfectly fine. But this is a learning process as we go through the post-COVID 2020 weird season where guys skip AAA, he probably needs more seasoning. And there is no rush for a guy who is 23 turning 24 years old to bring him up. He's just not going to benefit all that much from getting called up too early. The risk of him getting called up too early, hurting his confidence, you know, maybe he struggles in the field as well as at the plate. The risk of that is not worth the potential reward that he could come up and provide a spark, or at least he makes games a little bit more interesting to watch in the short term. That's, I'm sorry, that's not Mike Elias's priority right now. His priority yeah. is how can I build a World Series championship caliber team in the next few years? And if Jemai Jones is benefiting more from getting regular at-bats at AAA than coming up and playing a position he's not entirely comfortable with to fill in for a guy... He's not going to benefit from that. And an important piece of what you said there, Paul, there's no rush. To quote yeah. uh, the trusty PEMDAS from high school, uh, there is an order of operations to things. We cannot Please jump down the laundry now. list yeah. of what Michael Elias is doing here. There is a group of players that you need to see what you have in them. And I understand the argument of maybe you want Jemai Jones at the major league level instead of somebody like Pat Valeka who has not been hitting well so far this season. However, Pat Valeka hit well in 2020. Yes, a small sample size of that season, but he hit well. Pat Valeka deserves a chance at the major league level this year to prove that he can hit. And well, he has been a little bit better once he's come back. I mean, Pat I am, Valeka, I think, is the one that you can make the case where yeah. you can say Jemai Jones should be on this team instead of Pat Valeka. Of the three, he has Valeka has the least case to be here. I will sure. say that. But he does play shortstop. Exactly. Yeah. Valeka has not been fantastic. Like I said, he's hitting under 250 games and has just one home run, but he's versatile in the infield, which is important. Ramon Arias and Domingo Leba, you deserve a chance to prove what you can do at the major league level. And Michael Elias needs to make sure that he is not finding diamonds in the rough here. Yeah. You can go to Jemai Jones. You know that he has a lot of potential and you are going to give him a lot of time at second base once he eventually comes up. Ramona Rios and Domingo Leba probably have a much shorter leash because they are not on that top prospect list. Exactly. But you still need to give them a chance at the major league level because Domingo Leba has been hitting amazingly at AAA. You need to see what you have in him yeah. at the major league level. And if you call Jemai Jones up, you need to give him a chance because he's one of your top prospects. And that pretty much blocks Domingo Leyva. It pretty much blocks Ramon Arias unless he's playing consistently at shortstop because Jemai Jones is going to be given that full opportunity once he has it. Yeah. And, and does Jemai Jones, because of that top prospect ranking, does he have a higher ceiling than both those guys? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. That's great, and that's that's doesn't mean that he should be called up sooner. And either a lot of the, and I get it, it's frustrating at times to see certain players struggle at the big league level and guys that are probably not going to be a part of this team long term. I get that. It's frustrating. However, the whole part of this thing is patience. The whole right. part of this thing 
is patience. And if you're impatient that you're not seeing the top prospect come up yet, it'll happen. It's going to come. It's just not going to come right now. And you have to trust the, the Mike Elias process here and understand that he knows these guys a little bit better than we do. So, you know, I'm not saying blindly trust every decision that he's going to make. Michael Elias has said himself he's going to make mistakes at time. But I would personally rather he make a mistake in keeping a guy down for too long and making sure that he is 100% MLB ready than bringing a guy up too early, getting his confidence shot, and then having to send him back down for an extended time. And I think there's absolutely a case to be made that in a few weeks, we should see Jemai Jones instead of Pat Vileka if he continues to struggle. It if could Pat Vileka is not hitting well over the next two weeks, if he is the Orioles' consistent most-day second baseman, as we are kind of assuming that he will be, if he's not playing well at second base and you think Jemai Jones is going to be ready in a few weeks, sure, we can make an argument, DFA Pat Vileka and call up Jemai Jones. But as of right now, the right move is to bring up a bunch of guys who have the infield versatility to replace Freddie Galvis yeah. because that is the primary issue with the Orioles right now. You yeah. need to figure out what you're doing at shortstop and those answers are by three guys who have the ability to play shortstop. And, and that's if, what you need on the roster. And if you're making the case that Jemai Jones would be better than what you have on the field right now, there's one, no way of knowing that. But two, would you trust the, rather have the guy who hit 300 the last time we saw him in AAA or the guy who hit 234 the last time we saw him in AA? Right. Right now, you're probably going to get better production from a R Ramon Arias, who again has been fine to above average offensively in 37 career major league games and Domingo Leba, who again hit 300 at the AAA level in 2019. So I really don't think Jemai Jones is going to be better. He's going to, he might provide a spark and he's going to be fun to watch. And whenever he gets called up, he will be fun to watch because of how athletic and terrific he is. However, He's probably not going to be more productive than what you're getting from Domingo Leba and Ramon Arias. And not an insignificant point. Michael Franco is still really struggling at third base. Yeah. And Domingo Leba and Pat Vileka can both play third. True. Ideally, you and, want and Michael Franco to pick things up, but he might not deserve to be in the lineup every single day at this point because he's not really hitting well. Yeah. And if Michael Franco isn't hitting well, then... Why is he in the lineup? Because he's not great defensively at third. So in Domingo Leba and Pat Faleka, you are keeping that versatility to move them to any three infield positions not named first base. And case in point, I think Monday, Brandon Hyde gave Michael Franco the day off because he was scuffling, and that because he didn't have Jemai Jones and because he had three guys on the roster who could, in theory, play third or second or shortstop. He played all of them. He played all of them. So it gives him a little bit more versatility and breathing room. He doesn't have a top prospect that he has to put in the field at a certain position every single day. Right. There's also the other <laughs> argument of, well, Stevie Wilkerson played second base in the outfield. Why don't you just call up Jemai Jones, who also plays second base in the outfield? And to that, I say Ryan McKenna is more major league ready, and Anthony Santander and Austin Hayes have been struggling with injuries, and you need somebody who can play a good defensive outfield, which is exactly what Ryan McKenna gives you at this point. Yeah. Have we exhausted our breath <laughs> yes. on this? We've I've just so. seen quite a lot. Yeah. So in summary, what more does he have to do? He has to... 
consistently produce at the AAA level. And That's again, what else he has to do. We are huge Jemai Jones yes. stands. But he's, it's not the time. <laughs> it's not the time. It will be. When it, he's 24 and it's late in the season and he's still hitting 286 with you know, an OPS in the 800s or 900s, we'll reconsider. If Pavlika is still struggling yeah. in a few weeks, I may have a different take. Yes. But as of right now, you just need the versatility. You, you keep these guys there until they prove that they are not suited for it. Yes. And then you replace them with the top prospects. Yes. All right. Whew. Should we talk Tyler Wells? Let's do it. All right. Tyler Wells has been awesome. And that's, that's all there is to say about that. Uh, and that's it. That's next it. segment. We're done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Tyler Wells has been absolutely terrific. And he had maybe his best moment or one of his best moments. He's had some good moments so far over mm-hmm. the first half of the season. The other night in Houston comes on bases loaded tie game after Tanner Scott walked in two runs, strikes out back to back Astros had some, uh, you know, for the lip readers out there had some choice words, but um, I think I, I prefer the at Orioles lip reading instead that said, good night. I love you. Instead of what he probably said, uh, he was fired up. It's, what we have learned about Tyler Wells in the short amount of time that he has been in Baltimore. One, he is massive. Two, the guy is nails. And three, when he gets a big K, he is fired up. Yes. And that is exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, but he has been everything that the Orioles expected when they took him in the Rule 5 draft and a whole lot more. And we had high expectations for this guy when he was picked in the Rule 5 draft, even though he was the second Rule 5 pick that the Orioles had taken after Max Aroller. We thought, honestly, he had a better chance to stick on this roster than Max Aroller. And here we are, Max Aroller having been returned to his original team, and Tyler Wells is still here. Yeah, Wells so far 2-0 and with a 3.79 ERA, like you said, just 26 years old. And he's been really effective in high leverage situations. And I think coming into the season, if you told me that Tyler Wells would be used in high leverage situations, I would have laughed in your face. Because I thought Tyler Wells coming into the season was going to be the guy that the Orioles turned to if a starter got knocked out in like the third or fourth inning and you needed somebody to just eat innings. I thought that would be Tyler Wells' role. But all of a sudden, the Orioles' bullpen has had some struggles in places that they weren't expecting it. And Tyler Wells has been one of their more consistent bullpen arms. In June, he's got 14 and a third innings pitched, two earned runs, 18 strikeouts. Yeah. That's good for a 1-2-6 ERA. Opponents are hitting just 176 against him in the month of June, and he has not walked a single batter. And those two runs came on June 19th when he inherited a top of the ninth bases loaded situation facing I think it was Bo Bichette. It was Bo Bichette and then <laughs> Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah and Bo Bichette had like this incredible at bat where he fouls off a million pitches and then eventually drops one into right field that Anthony Santander almost makes a great catch on. If Anthony Santander. With two outs. I'm pretty sure. Anthony Santander on a healthy ankle probably makes that catch. And Tyler Wells is probably out of that inning which means yep. he would not have allowed any earned runs in the month of June. Yeah. Um the fact that he is getting these high leverage opportunities, I think, is the unfortunate byproduct of the fact that we've seen Adam Plutko struggle. Uh, we've seen, uh, other than Paul Fry, pretty much every bullpen arm struggle. Yeah, Cesar Valdez on the IL, Tanner mm-hmm. Scott has been walking a ton of batters. Yeah, and 
like we said on the last podcast, the starters have not been going deep enough into these games because of various injuries to the rotation, of course, and, and because of inconsistencies from the rotation. So they have had to rely a lot on the bullpen. Brandon Hyde has needed some big innings. And in those back-to-back strikeouts the other night in Houston, Brandon Hyde said after the game, flat out, Tyler Wells won the game for us. Uh, they were massive strikeouts. Um, and the fa- he clearly can handle these high-leverage situations. Yeah. So that begs the question of, do you want to keep him in those high-leverage situations? Do you want to move him to the rotation? And that's a question Brandon Hyde has been asked a whole lot over the past couple weeks by beat reporters. Well, if you move Tyler Wells to the rotation at this point, who's going to pitch in the high leverage situations? Yeah. At that point, you're more or less left with Paul Fry, right? I, I really can't think of another Oriole at this point I mean, that I think, has been consistently good. In high, I mean, yeah. Hunter Harvey has been decent so far since coming back from injury. I think Hyde would still like to give the ball to Tanner Scott. I think right. he still will, but I agree with you. Tanner Scott has been, his command has been shaky this year. Personally, I would say that I think it's worth a shot to put him in the rotation, but you also have a bunch of guys that are going to be coming up soon, presumably, to be in the Orioles rotation. Alexander Wells is already at the major league level. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a start relatively soon. He's looked pretty good over his first few games. And of course, at AAA, there's still Zach Lowther, Mike Bauman. Kevin Smith is moving up quickly. Kyle Bradish is moving up quickly. So if Tyler Wells is going to get a shot in the rotation, it's probably going to have to be relatively soon before all of those guys are back and ready to go. And don't forget, too, Dean Kramer is down in AAA. He'll probably be back at some point soon. So I think if you're going to give Tyler Wells a shot, it should be sometime over the next few weeks until those AAA guys start to come up. I think Bauman is still in in AA, but all the other guys that you mentioned, yeah, Yeah. AAA level, they're very close to the bigs. Yes and no. I, I Again, go, going back to the Jemai Jones conversation, I don't think that there's a rush right. for him to be moved to the rotation, and I do see the benefit of him getting consistent uh, turns out of the bullpen and getting comfortable with that role because he was a starter the last time we saw him in uh, minor league baseball several years ago. So I, I understand it from that perspective. I don't, I don't see the rush in trying to you know, he maybe gets thrown off his rhythm. It is obviously a vastly different preparation when you're talking about starting as opposed to coming out of the bullpen. So I don't see the rush in, in starting him at any point soon. Um, and I, I just want to see the guy succeed. So if right. they think that he can succeed, you know, the need to fill out your rotation and get better starts in the rotation, that's probably secondary to making sure that Tyler Wells' development occurs at, at a good pace. Yeah, and you can make a case that a very good, consistent bullpen arm is just as important as a yeah, decent exactly. starter. Exactly. Like the the 14 and a third innings that he's given you in June, those have been 14 and a third, for the most part, very important innings. Right. So he is going to give you an you know important innings out of that bullpen um, at a time when they really need it. So and eventually I think Bruce Zimmerman will come back from injury. They will they will fill out that rotation. But when, if, if that move comes at some point, it'll be exciting to see because I think he can handle it as well. He's got a legit three-pitch mix. He has five pitches total, so he's got a couple other pitches that he can throw in there. Uh, but he relies on that fastball slider changeup. The fastball ranks above average, according to StatCast, in uh, velocity, in spin, 
And there is really not much that's fluky about him. They, we've seen no. some fluky things. You know, the Matt Harvey first couple months of the season were, were a little bit fluky. But this is not a fluky stretch for Tyler Wells. 88th percentile in K percentage, 85th percentile in chase rate, 80th percentile in whiff percentage. He has been uh, legitimately good. And it's not yeah. like he's getting lucky. If anything, he got unlucky with that Blue Jays outing. That's so what he, I was just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he has been legitimately good, and it, there is strong reason to believe that he is going to be a consistent big leaguer. And at this point, it's really just where do you think he gives you more value? Yeah. Because he's going to give you positive value whether he's in the rotation or whether he's in the bullpen. I think for Brandon Hyde at this point, it's probably just a question of what do you need him to do more? Do you need him to eat innings early in games? Or do you need him in high leverage situations? And as of right now, it looks like he needs him in high leverage. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of the Miguel Castro uh, conversations from a few years ago when he was excellent out of the bullpen. He had great stuff and fans were kind of clamoring to see him in the rotation. And then he got some starts in the rotation and he struggled. So, and, and I'm pretty sure, you know, other conversations were had about Tanner Scott at some point back when he was a top prospect of whether... You try to make him a starter and keep him in that rotation, or whether you use the few good pitches that he has in limited outings uh, out of that bullpen, so or, in, or facing limited batters. So it is a tough decision to make. I'm glad we don't have to make that decision. Yes. Um, but for now, perfectly fine with seeing him come out of that bullpen and get huge outs. Agreed. And and having him yell quite a lot. Agreed. Um, some some choice curse words, um, but. Will be fun to watch. And he definitely, it definitely softens the blow of losing Zach Pop, which we talked about uh, in the Rule 5 draft, who is now struggling a little bit with the Marlins. But I think it's fair to say Zach Pop's probably not coming back to this Orioles organization. No. His stuff is very good and it is showing at the major league level. His results have not been fantastic, but he passes the eye test. The right. stuff is good. And, and he's only 24 years old, so he's two years younger than uh, Tyler Wells at this point. I have a feeling Kim Ang is going to want to hold on to him. Pain. Yeah. yeah. But it softens the blow if they got Tyler Wells uh, on their, you know, assuming he's going to stick around for the rest of the season, they don't return him. To have him sticking with the team long term, that, that's pretty okay. And it softens the blow, honestly, of losing Max a roller. And that's why you take two guys with, uh, in the Rule 5 draft. Right. So that you don't have to, uh, you know, you, you get more bites out of the apple there. Yeah, you go one for two in the Rule 5 draft of a player that's actually good. It's a that, good Rule 5 draft. Yeah, that's that's a, a perfectly fine outcome. Yeah. All right. Well, MLB draft is, crazily enough, a week and a half away. Um, we don't know who the Orioles are going to take. We have no absolute clue who the Orioles are going to take. Uh, but one thing, one possibility that we have heard consistently is that the Orioles might go under slot and take somebody uh, with a, uh, you know, pay him less money, save their money for later on in the draft, as they did last year with Heston Kerstad. They had the number two overall pick. They could have gone with an Ace Lacey and Emerson Hancock and Austin Martin. They instead went with uh, Heston Kerstad, paid him under slot, and were able to pay Kobe Mayo and the likes of those guys, high school talents, later on in the draft. One guy that I think the Orioles could do that with this year, and he would fit that strategy, Colton Kowser from Sam Houston State. And honestly, if you're looking for a what is the 2021 draft uh, version of Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser kind of fits that. He kind of does. I mentioned on the last podcast where if the Orioles are looking for a college bat, the best one in the draft is probably Henry Davis. 
the catcher from Louisville. Colton Cowser probably has a, a case to be made to be the second best college bat in this draft. Yeah. Um, hit three in the 370s with Sam Houston State. Obviously not a program that is known for churning out uh, top MLB talent. He could be, if he is taken at number five, he would be the highest drafted Sam Houston State Bearcat of all time. Uh, very intriguing prospect. So we caught up with his head coach, Jay Sirianni, who was kind enough to provide a scouting report on uh, Colton Kowser. Here's our conversation from earlier. And now we're joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Jay Sirianni, who is the head coach for Sam Houston State. That would be the team of Colton Kowser, potential future first round pick in the MLB draft. Coach, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. So let's start with, uh, I was looking through the statistics for your season last year. This is your second season as head coach with Sam Houston State, You though you've been with the team for longer than that. So you've gotten to know Colton for a little bit longer. And just looking through the statistics, I mean, Colton Kowser's name is all over your team leaderboards. How important was he to your offense last year in his junior year where he was just leading the team in average on-base percentage, tied for the team lead in homers, what did he mean to your lineup? Well, you know, he he was really big. He was maybe the biggest piece we've had and, and really in the conference. A lot of people didn't even want to pitch to him. So huge piece for us and, and really he did everything for us to, to kind of help us overachieve. And he was a great leader on and off the field. So he was a big piece of this program for sure. Coach, in his 55 games, you mentioned it a little bit that pitchers didn't even want to pitch to him. He had 42 walks and just 32 strikeouts. How much of that was just really good plate discipline and how much of it was just pitchers not wanting to throw him strikes? Well, it, it definitely starts with, with strike zone discipline. I mean, he understands, one, what he can hit well and hit hard, and, and two, he's, he's not going to chase a whole lot. And and then the other thing, I don't know the number of intentional walks, but there were a lot of times where he never even put a foot in the box. He just kind of kept going straight to first. So, um, But he definitely has a real good feel for the strike zone and, and then to add to it the pitches that he can do damage to. Yeah, and, and not just at the plate, but on the base paths as well. He had 17 stolen bases. That was led the team. You expect some speed, of course, when you have a center fielder, but was he a true threat on the base pass for you when he was out there trying to steal bags? Well, I think the first thing is he gets really, really good jumps. He understands you know, how pitching is going to try to get the guy out behind him. and But so he's a good base runner. He's also a really good runner. So... Uh, the combination of it, he basically had the green light all year. And, and when we did give him the red light, he wanted the green light. So uh, very aggressive, good base runner. And then plus he can run. All right. So coach, the scouting report will tell you that he doesn't have a ton of loft to his swing, but he had a stretch of five straight games in April with a home run. Do you think his power will translate at the next level or is he more of a gap to gap hitter? Well, yeah, I, that's always the million-dollar question. I, I, I think guys a lot smarter than me will figure that out. But I know this is bat-to-ball skills are really good. It's it's flat. He under he does understand how to lift the ball. He, he just – I think he's a hitter first at the end of the day, and, and the power is definitely going to come. I mean, he's a big kid. He's, he's, he's a big, strong kid, and, and – but he, he does know how to hit, and I think that's the first thing. He doesn't get real tied up into trying to hit jacks, and he likes them. 
don't kid yourself, but <laughs> um, he's a hitter first. Yeah, that that 370 plus batting average is a good indication of a guy who's just making good contact with the ball. And in def- defense wise, mentioned that he plays center field, of course. Was he a reliable center fielder for you guys? And do you think that that's something that he can play at the next level? Or would you expect him maybe to shift over to a corner spot? Well, I, I mean, from my standpoint, he can play center field. It all starts with kind of the first thing is the way he works day in and day out at his craft defensively. I mean, he takes BP really serious and, and gets after it out there. And his jumps are good. Um you know, he takes really good angles and routes. And and I, I don't want to be the guy that says he can't play center field. <laughs> I, I just believe in my heart that he can. And and somebody else is going to have to tell, tell him he can't. Um, I'll let somebody else deal with that. <laughs> so we've talked about all of his skills, all the things that he can do really well. Is there a professional player that you would compare his game to or maybe compare what he could be in the future? Well, that I've had that question asked a bunch and, and I – I guess, you know, I don't want to, you know, undersell him or whatever you want to call it, but I, I would say uh, Yelich. That that's the comp kind of body wise. He's got a he has no torso, but he can really really run, and it's flat, a lot like Yelich was when he first got to the big leagues. And I would say that's the best comp that I can give him. That would be a great outcome if that ends up being the outcome. But of course, just, just looking at, at him, of course, you know, being a first round pick that, that would be a great start as well. But watching his tape, he even kind of looks like Christian Yelich at the plate, at least from our end as well. And then, uh, you know, I mentioned off the top that you've been in that Sam Houston state program for several years. Now you were the pitching coach before you were the head coach. So you've gotten to know Colton inside the clubhouse as well as on the field. What kind of person is Colton Kowser? And do you think that he could be a leader for a pro ball club? Well, I think you start off with with his makeup, number one. I mean, he graduated in three years. He he has over over a three eight cumulative GPA with in in construction management. I don't know if the kids ever had a bad day. Uh, there's times where you're kind of like, Hey, uh, Colton, let's take this a little more serious. And, and he just doesn't, he, he's fun loving. Um, the guys like him, you know, he's not, we call it not too cool for school. Uh, he'll, he'll do anything. And he, like I said, he's never had a bad day. Um, loves to work. His teammates like being around him and, and really, you know, they like to give him a bunch of grief. And, and that's always good when, when your best player can can take the grief as much as give it out. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have anything bad to say about the kid. He's He comes to the house. He plays with my kids. Um, <laughs> he, he's just a good all-around kid. That's awesome to hear. And if whatever team that ends up taking him, I'm sure he will be picked in the first round or first couple rounds, we'll be getting – a solid kid as well as a good player as well. But Jay, thanks so much for hopping on here. We really appreciate it. Do you have draft plans? Do you have any, any plans in relation to Colton for what you're doing on the night of the first round of the MLB draft? Well, the, yeah, yes and no. Um, you know, it's always recruiting season and that kind of thing where we'll probably be down close to his hometown and probably swing, swing by for sure. Uh, got a meeting later with our, with our sports information people about how we're going to do this. So uh, it's going to be a special night for the Cowser family, number one. Um, and that's what it's about. It's about the kids and the, and the, the parents and, 
you know, we're just excited for, for him and to be a part of it. So we can't thank Colton and his family enough on our end and fired up for him. Absolutely. Could be a part of history as the highest drafted member of the Sam Houston State Bearcats. But even if he's not, could be a special night as well if he goes in that first round. So, Coach, thanks so much for hopping on. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely, guys. Have a great day. So that was Sam Houston State head coach, J.C. Ariani, talking about Colton Kowser. Uh, we will keep you, you know, apprised of more draft news, draft interviews as they come over the next couple of weeks. We will have plenty to discuss there as well. But we do have some breaking news now. We do. Because we are live on the Mass and All Access podcast. Brendan, care to share? I'm, You're I just might. Stone Cold Newsman. Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Representing the Orioles at the Futures game. Yeah. Uh, exciting stuff. The pitcher representative for the Orioles. Marcos Duplan. Marcos Duplan. I suggested when the Orioles got Marcos Duplan a couple years ago that they create some version, some hashtag, you know, like how they have trust the process for the Sixers in Philadelphia. You know, like trust Duplan. Go with the, stick with the Duplan. You know, some kind of pun there. Yeah, well, that'll do it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anyway, it's going to be there, great Paul. to see that uh, Adley Rutschman is going to be represented in, uh, in, by the Orioles in the Futures game, which yep. means that uh, they will have future representative in Adley Rutschman as well as Marcos Duplan. They will have Trey Mancini there in the Home Run Derby, Ooh. which is going to be awesome to see. Uh, cannot think of a better candidate for the Home Run Derby. For what the Home Run Derby is, which is really just, you know, doesn't ultimately matter all that much who wins, how these guys do, not a, a huge deal. So for a guy who's probably not going to be an all-star when the the rosters are announced, it's probably going to be Cedric Mullins will be the Orioles representative to see Trey Mancini at least be there, get to be with, hang around the other all-stars, get to experience the fanfare of the all-star game and receive the attention that he is due. That is a, a great Great thing for the O's. Yeah, for my podcast notes here today, Paul, I wrote down two things yeah. under Trey Mancini for the Home Run Derby. I wrote down Heck Yeah and Dingers. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing that Trey Mancini is able to participate in the Home Run Derby. It is the best story in baseball. Yeah. And it's going to be a ton of fun to watch him participate. Well, he'll be the story of the Derby, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Whether or not he wins, it is going to be fantastic to see him participating absolutely for what for what it is for what the derby is he is a perfect candidate yes um so that'll be fun and it'll be a good time during the all-star break to just relax on a monday night and watch trey mancini hit dingers yeah and we don't we don't praise major league baseball as a whole a ton on this podcast <laughs> this is an awesome move by major league baseball. yes very and, good and deserving call. it's not like obviously it's not right. like they're they're shoehorning him in right um you know he's been a consistent power hitter for the past couple of years with the save for 2020 he yeah. was a consistent power hitter hit 35 dingers in 2019 so it's going to be great to see um and uh, honestly he will have more than just people in baltimore i'm sure rooting for him uh and it'll it'll increase his status help him become more of a, a household name which honestly he should be at this point yeah absolutely if you do not have a hometown player in the home run derby you should be rooting for Trey Mancini. Absolutely. Um, all right. That'll just about do it for the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for running the show today. Uh, be sure to check out the podcast if you're not watching live. You can do so on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe on all your favorite platforms. Share with your friends. Give it five stars. All that good stuff. He is Brendan Mortensen, at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I am at 
Paul Mancano on Twitter as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back in a week as we prepare further for the MLB draft. So stick with us then, and we'll see you next time.